This morning when I went out with my cup of coffee and our little dog Agatha and sat there on a, a bench that we have and was looking at the mountains, I literally was able to watch the clouds come down. And I always think that that's a cool experience. Um, when I went to Covenant College, which is built on a top of a mountain in Georgia, we could literally open our windows and the clouds would come into the rooms and we just thought that was so cool because the building was called the Castle in the Clouds. And of course, as someone in the Air Force, I've flown through many cloud formations and things like that. But this morning when I watched the clouds coming down on our mountains, I thought of that time in Matthew 17 where Jesus and some of his disciples went up and a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now that's a passage that's going to be key to the identification of Christ in the passage that we're looking at. But before we get to this passage from uh, Hebrews 4, uh, since it is the last one in our series on entering into the presence of, of God through the shed blood of Christ, I wanted just to give a review. I won't use the word quick because my wife would probably say I could never be quick. We started off in John 4, when Jesus told the Samaritan woman, the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Remember, I tied that into the first and the second commandments that are about worship. That when Jesus was talking to his generation and John was writing about it for the following generations, the Father is seeking people to worship him in spirit and in truth. Then we went to 1 Peter 2, which has a lot of descriptive language about the worshipers. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This idea that we are a holy priesthood and that we have received mercy. My observation about part of this passage, and I, it'd be interesting to talk to you, as you know, from your background here in Scotland. But I know that in America there is a reluctance to speak about being a priest because there are still the clouds of anti-Catholicism which represented in our country not just a religious thing, but also 
an ethnic thing because they weren't what we were. And so talking about priests was something that most American churches did not do. But yet something in our Westminster Confession that reminds us, and catechisms that remind us that Jesus Christ was a priest. And passages like this that remind us that we are a holy priesthood who have received mercy, that that idea that I can go into the very presence of God, that it creates a boldness, it creates a desire to know that you are a holy and a royal priest. Now we go to, we went then to Hebrews 10, therefore brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. And I would say that in all of this, that is the most memorable verse of all that I have preached on in this. It's not to say, but it struck me that we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus since we have a great priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience in our bodies washed with pure water. And then the results of that is let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of sun, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We have a priest who has opened the way by his blood, and one of the results, because we have received mercy, is that we are to be, according to this passage in verse 25 of Hebrews 10, people who encourage each other. That's a simple ministry, but yet it requires time and intimacy to know where does a person need to be encouraged. Then we went back for two psalms. In Psalm 99, it says, Let them praise your great name and awesome name. Holy is he, the king in his might loves justice. O Lord our God, you answered them, and you are a forgiving God to them. Holiness produces both justice and forgiveness. So when we think about a holy God who is just and a holy God who forgives, and we think about what does it mean for us to be holy, to be like God, one of the things that Psalm 99 tells us that we are to love justice as he loves justice, and we are to be forgiving. Something that Jesus emphasized in the Sermon on the Mount after the Lord's Prayer when he tells them that if you do not forgive as I have forgiven you, I will not forgive you. It is a, a forgiveness is something that should haunt us. That I need to be a forgiving person. Then last week in Psalm 135, praise the Lord, praise the name of the Lord, give praise, O servants of the Lord, you who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. 
O house of Israel, bless the Lord. O house of Aaron, bless the Lord. O house of Levi, bless the Lord. You who fear the Lord, bless the Lord. Our worship is to include praise and blessing. When we hear about the house of Aaron and the house of Levi, the house of Israel, we need to say, that's who I am because I am a royal holy priest who can enter the very courts of God to give him praise. That I need to look for ways to shine light on him and to praise him and express my love and my devotion to him. And then we come to our last passage in this series. From Hebrews 4. And verse 14 is almost written like a confession of faith. The writer of Hebrews says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. To realize that Jesus is the Son of God, remember that's part of why I read you that passage from Matthew 17. When we think about who is Jesus Christ, one of the most foundational things is that he is the Son of God. And we know that because of that claim to be the Son of God, that was one, if not the top reason why he was crucified. Because his generation, the people around him, understood what that meant. If he claimed to be the Son of God, he was claiming to be equal to God. He was claiming to be God. And we find often in our own conversations and evangelism that that is one of the, the big stumbling stones that sometimes the, that the Holy Spirit has to take people over to realize that Jesus is the Son of God. And this passage shows how God used him in many ways. He says, we have a great high priest. When you think about your life, when you think about your, your prayers, your devotion, your relationships in your families, in your communities, in your workplaces, do you see yourself as someone who has a high priest who has called you to be a priest? Now, in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question number 25 says, what doth Christ execute, how doth, excuse me, how doth Christ execute the office of a priest? The answer is simple. Christ executeth the office of a priest, one in his offering up of himself, a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice, And reconcile us to God, and in making continual intercession for us. You see how the first two things are what we think of as one-time events. He offered himself as a sacrifice one time. When we are reconciled to God because of that sacrifice, we are reconciled. But yet, what does he continue to do, it says? He continues to make intercession for us. That is something that I think every day should fill us with hope, no matter what our situation is. 
That we have this great high priest who is in the very presence of God who is interceding for us. That that is part of his priestly, high priestly role as he brings us before God. Now, the writer of Hebrews, at least in this passage, to me is, is very pastoral because of the way he presents this high priest. Listen to what it says in verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That Jesus Christ sympathizes with us. No matter who you are as someone who believes in him, He sympathizes, and notice what he does. Here is the creator. Here is the right hand of God, the second person of the Trinity, who sympathizes with our weaknesses. And he is one who, in every respect, has been tempted as we are. We need to hear that and remind ourselves that when we are tempted to sin, Christ is with us. That being tempted is not the same as sinning. It says about Christ, yet without sin. That is why, because he was without sin, that when he shed his blood, he was the perfect sacrifice who could die for all of our sins. We go on as the description of Christ as the high priest, verse 1 in chapter 5, for every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relationship to God. Now, all of us, not just the pastor, not just elders, deacons, council people, all of us are reminded that we are priests, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. One of the things we need to be praying for each other is for personal holiness, that the Spirit would convict each of us. We don't have to know each other's sins. We just have to pray that God gives us the ability to recognize them through His Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, so that we can confess them and know that He alone, because you think about all these sacrifices over years and years and years that went on, we're getting ready for that one sacrifice for our sins. This next passage is so comforting in verse 1. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward. This is talking about the, the, the human high priest since he himself is beset with weaknesses. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. I think this is a challenge to all Christian leaders, that we need to be willing to say that I need the blood of Christ as much as you do. Now, I don't have to draw attention to myself by giving you a list of my sins because what I want to do is draw attention to the fact that all of my sins, all of Fred's sins, 
are washed away by the blood of the Lamb, then I am in need of that forgiveness, that sacrifice of Christ as much as anybody. There have been times in the history of the Christian church where people have been shamed because of their sin rather than been offered the blood of Christ so that they might be forgiven and reconciled. So we need to remember that we have been made priests by the blood of Christ. I truly believe at a practical level that if we approach corporate worship or private worship with that conviction that I am here to worship God because of the shed blood of Christ, that it will give us a sense of reality and a sense of urgency because I have that access into the presence of the Holy God because of Christ. And now the writer of Hebrews in verse 5 turns back to Christ himself, and he says, So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The last quote is from Psalm 110. But that idea that is given in the Psalms and other places that Christ is the Son of God. That's what makes his priesthood so powerful and so holy. That God himself has taken upon himself flesh so that he might be a sacrifice and then a priest. That he might lay down his life, then take it up. And then take his people into the very presence of God. Now, verse 7, I think, could upend your prayer life. Verse 7 says, In the days of the flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Do you see what the writer is telling us? That the point of prayer is for us to know we have been heard. It's not to change God. And I think there is a, we can talk about that another time, but I think the first thing in your prayer life is to realize that you are heard. Because most people just push past it because they feel like, what good is it going to do? Do you really believe that when you are in the presence of God that you are being heard Jesus pleaded for his life and he finally said, not my will, but your will be done. To realize that the beauty and the power of prayer is that we have been heard, we are not alone. Because is it not loneliness often that that drives our despair and our frustrations? But if you read this passage about Christ offering up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. I have to be very careful that I don't zip through my prayers. That it's almost like, you know, when when I read sometimes it's like I'm surfing on the net. I'm not really reading. I'm not paying attention to the words. I have to slow down. 
And I think that's one of the temptations in our culture is not to slow down. Not to be willing, I mean, when I look at this, that he, with loud cries and tears, there are very few times in my life when I have offered up prayers with tears. That I have been that emotionally involved and that emotionally pleading for God with those tears that come from a heart that is burdened for someone. And the point is not that I get what I want, but that I know that I am heard because God will do what he wants. Because remember... You know, the high priest can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward. Because I have to acknowledge that sometimes that's who I am. I don't know what God's going to do. I have to make sure that I listen. That I don't write out a movie script for God and say, God, this is the way you need to solve my problems. This is the way you need to solve the problems of my family or a loved one but to realize that I am heard because I have a great high priest. Now, I want to go back to verse 16. As much as verse 14 is important for a statement of faith and fact, Verse 16 is one of those ones that motivates us to action, to realize what is going on. Verse 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now the first thing I want to do is to make sure we as people who live in the 21st century don't skip over the us and the we. That we are able to read and realize that we are part of a community of praise, people. That we together draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. When you come to worship together, Do you realize and do you think about that we are drawing to the throne of grace? And it's by faith. It's in light of the word of God. We don't create an artificial reality space. We don't create a space where we say this is where it is. Because remember, that's what what changed with Christ. Was the temple as the home of the altar was destroyed and people could worship wherever they were. They could worship in their own languages. And they could draw near to the throne of grace. Because at the throne of grace that we may receive mercy. And one of the things this sermon series has done is I have read in passage after passage about receiving mercy because of worship. I think that is such a refreshing and encouraging thing in our lives. Because I know that I can't earn it. It's only because of his mercy, because of Christ, that I can receive mercy. 
And having received mercy, I need to be a merciful person in all of my relationships. And to find grace to help in the time of need. We don't know when those special times of need are going to be. But we need to make sure that in our own hearts, and our own communities, we know that drawing near in worship to the throne of grace is where we're going to find that grace to help in a time of need. That worship is an important part of a response to a crisis. It's not the only response, but it's part of it. Because when our lives are disrupted or destroyed or disconnected, we need that grace to know that we are still connected to the creator God who has redeemed us, that we're not alone, and that it is by grace, as we read from the Romans 3 passage, it's by grace that we're forgiven. So as I begin to wrap up the sermon and the series, I go back to verse 14. Since then, we notice that it is the plural. Have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let, quote, in the, uh, let us, again, together, hold fast to our confession. Remembering that that high priest that we have is the Son of God, that we are able to stand with him in the very courts, in the very presence of God, because we are also holy and royal and I go back to that passage in Hebrews 10 therefore brothers since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus and since we have a great priest over the house of God let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from the evil consciousness of our bodies washed in pure water We need to see and remind ourselves that our salvation is about worship. Worship is not an add-on. Worship is why we are saved so that then we may be thrust out to do things. But we are drawn because of the blood of Christ. When we worship, we come into his presence. When we plan, when we think about it Saturday night when you're getting ready to think through it, it, when I was a a military chaplain at a training base, when we were thinking about worship on Sunday morning, we were praying about Saturday night, because all of these 18 to 25-year-old young people that we have are, for the first time, able to make a choice, because they're not at home. They're not in basic training where everything is timed out and you're told what to do. But on Saturday night, they can decide whether they're going to go to church in the morning and whether they're going to go out and get drunk, go out and do something stupid so that they won't get up in the morning. That they have to take responsibility for showing up for church on their own. They have to make a decision about their confession and about being willing to draw near with full assurance, with a true heart of faith. Now, 
as we enter the holy presence of God, as we look back and think about all the passages, we see that repentance assures pardon as an expression of holiness. See, all the things that we looked at, you don't have, you've got holiness over here and you've got mercy over there. You've got holiness over there and you've got justice. You've got holiness and you've got forgiveness. No, these things flow out, the Bible says. So that when we have mercy, when we experience mercy because of the blood of Christ, because we experience that. And when I use the word experience, I want you to think, how deep do you let the very word of God change and shape your experiences. So when we see Christ, I mean God on the throne, and it says that he, he loves justice, and he wants justice for his people, it's because of the blood of Christ that he is both the just and the justifier because of the blood of Christ. That in justification by faith, I have experienced the forgiveness of God, because that is another one of the things that by his blood we experience forgiveness. See, so often I think in our culture it's almost like we have defined experience in a way that it's almost impossible for those of us who are guided by faith and by the word of God to say, okay, I am having a real experience. I am experiencing God's forgiveness. I'm experiencing his presence. And then that fourth thing that I want us to think about is God is a compassionate God because of his blood. So that we are to be compassionate people. Now my vision, my prayer is that Grace Community Church will be a place that people will want to come because they will come into the very presence of God when we join to worship. That they will see mercy and justice and forgiveness and compassion they will know that God is here when we come to worship. Let us pray. Father, your word is so comforting. Your word is so clear. And therefore it is convicting. We pray that our confession might be that you are the true and the living God, that we come to worship you because of the blood of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.